Welcome to the Meltzone Podcast. This is episode 61. I'm Tom. And I'm Stefan. And on today's episode, we quickly talk about why I haven't uploaded so much the last weeks and why I had been out of order, um, unfortunately. Um, but also what I did during that time lying on my sofa and uh, discovered some new and interesting YouTube channels like uh, Corridor Crew that does a lot of even 3D printed 3D printing related projects but uh, also things like deep fakes insta nerfs and stuff like that so really nice and I was happy that I finally had the time to check them out um, on another topic Tom tried to redeem his Prusa meters uh, so like the reward program that you're currently getting on printables.com for free filament and uh, a bit of talking about laminating carbon fibers on 3d printed molds and how that can work and how that how that makes or how 3d printing makes the process way easier than it used to be in the past and speaking of experiments and stuff we try out stefan has been trying out um whether you actually need a volcano and we chat about what how that ties into my, my last video with the 0.4 versus 0.6 um and arachne what he has found, how well that works out. That's part of Prusa Slice. Talking of Prusa, we've got an update on the Prusa XL. Supply shortages, changes in parts. We cover that uh, to the full extent. Then, more chatty chat about Obsidian and Stefan's Voron. No, oh, hold on. It's called Obsidian and Stefan's Voron 2.4 build. What is planned for that um, and how that ties into the Op Exidian release. And finally, one question from you folks. Um, and the question, of course, you can submit on YouTube on the comments uh, or through Twitter at the Meltzone. Uh, whatever happened to the WhatsApp scam on my channel? Uh, very simple solution. Unfortunately, YouTube wasn't very helpful in that, but I did get it sorted out in the end. I still look bad on the camera. So I need to get my other camera. <laughs> it's the webcam. It's the webcam. Um, I would say it's not you, hopefully. You, you, you're back on, on your feet, right? I'm back on my feet finally after... It feels like being sick for four weeks straight, almost. Well, the COVID, COVID wasn't that bad, but uh, yeah, just, uh, just after getting out of quarantine, my daughter brought hand-mouth-foot hand disease home from the kindergarten. And since I was probably still a bit immuno, immunosuppressed uh, from from COVID, of course I got it as well because adults usually <sighs> don't get that. It's it's like you don't get a break. No, I yeah. did not get a break. And the thing was, so during during uh, like my my quarantine, I was still able to work. I was feeling fine. I just stayed away from others. But like the. Th the second thing I caught now just killed me for two weeks straight. Yeah. I wasn't able to eat anything. I wasn't able to to drink anything. I wasn't able to swallow. I was in constant horrible pain all day and was just swallowing painkillers from uh, from morning till 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 night, and that really dragged me down. Yeah. So I'm happy that that I feel good again. I can eat again and. <laughs> I can That's enjoy things again. One of one of the little joys, yeah. One of the little joys. But this let's let's not. I mean, I, I feel like we're 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 just doing the personal update. Oh, we're sick. We're not feeling great. I, I know we're gonna get people complaining about that. So yeah. 
But I still have one recommendation because I had, I, I finally had a ton of time because I was just really, I was feeling bad and just lying down and things like that. I finally took the time to uh, watch basically all Corridor Crew videos. Oh, I yeah. know that you are a big fan of you, them. You don't watch them when they come out? Shame on you. I did not in the past. I did not because I have rarely watched them. I always, so Corridor Crew, they do a lot of VFX work and... I sometimes found it really interesting, but I never took the time to really dive into, uh, dive deep into them. But yeah, since since I was on the sofa for basically a week, I watched most of them, and they they are really interesting and entertaining. So entertaining, but all also educating because yeah. you yeah. you you can really see how visual effects are being done in the background. It's just so nice. Yeah, it's not just it's not just visual effects. It's also running. What the heck? Power strip just dropped out. Uh, it's also running a YouTube channel. It's running a, a business based on that. Um, it's how does a team work together? It's it's all those things that we are kind of like scratching at as well. Um, and I find that really good to see. Like how how can you do that? How should you do that? Um, of course, the visual effects stuff is interesting as well, but just how do you how do you build that? How do you build a, a company in, around that? Yeah. So, so highly recommend uh, to to everyone watching and listening right here. Uh, check out Corridor Crew on YouTube. Yeah, for those really enjoyed it. For those three of you who've not watched them yet, ah. <laughs> <laughs> um, also a b bit of a crossover with the with the three D printing community. Of course, um, they do. I mean, anything that is props, uh, all all the time involves 3D printing, involves 3D scanning. They've done a lot with uh, Polycam, yeah. uh, which I've done a, a sponsorship with recently. And that, yeah, so Ren also is a, is an a avid uh, 3D printing enthusiast. Um, he's, I mean, he's even following me on Twitter, which I'm kind of proud of. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, r runs the 3D printers there, does 3D printing projects like the the recent one where he did the, um, the Nerf finger. Yeah, um, the Nerf finger, that was a good one. Isn't like a, a full 3D printing project, but it just shows like how can you use 3D printing in in, in practice, like without being like, oh, this is, we're forcing 3D printing into this. No, they have a project and they find 3D printing to be the best solution for that. So that I find very uh, enlightening as well. Cool. So. Yeah, definitely. Back, back to normal topics. What, what was the, the videos I watched yesterday? Uh, Stranger Things stuff. And the other one was... Yeah, they, they they do they do do goofy stuff like lots of uh, deep fake and um, mm -hmm. just experimental stuff recently. So the, the latest video was on Dali Dali two uh, generating wonky or, or uh, what was the term they used? Questionable Chil children toys that shouldn't Sli be children slightly toys. offensive, slightly yes. offensive uh, children toys um, visualized with Dali, where they did uh, audio deep fakes. Yeah. Um, and of course the, the, the facial deepfakes but the audio deepfakes was the one that impressed me the most because they are so good we could just have a you know we, we could have um, GPT-3 is it right now um, write up a, a podcast script and uh, have it read out with one of the or read out with one of the uh, deepfake yeah. uh, audio generators and yeah. we'd be obsolete <laughs> we still have the video though so that kind of proves we're not fake <laughs> <laughs> 
you could yes. you could you could just use uh, two two animated bobble heads or something like that. But I I thought about deep faking my voice because I often screw up my my voiceovers <laughs> in my videos, and I usually just because I'm lazy correct them in with a video overlay, but. Having the possibility to do that with a deep fake would be really nice. And I think, uh, is it Audition or Premiere offers a similar feature? Or at least I, I've, yeah, I've seen yeah, that at yeah. some point. I've seen them from, from one of the Adobe tools, yeah. Yeah. But, but it was, I never it used wasn't it. built into Audition. Was it built into Audition? I think it was a separate tool by Adobe. And they, two or three years ago already, and they were yeah. they were running into some... Uh, morality questions that weren't really answered at the time, but now it seems like, hey, it's it's fair game for anything. Yeah, <laughs> it would uh. be really interesting. So the thing is, my pronunciation of during reading is, let's say, it unique. <laughs> it's, uh, reading my comments sometimes offensive to one or the other, and I thought about how interesting it would be to just use my voice and i don't know if they're also like deep faking the the intonation that i use yes for yes. for a whole video and see how how people would react if it would finally be proper english pronounce no, not pronouncing well yeah pronunciation and intonation well it's but the, i haven't found an easy way to do that yet the thing with the with the audio deep fakes of course i mean it's a service you can just uh, sign up for and you train it with your own data um the thing is, it's always going to reproduce the way you speak. So if you mm -hmm. have some specific ways of pronouncing stuff, the eyes or the, the, mm -hmm. the deep fake is going to reproduce that as best as it can. Of course, there are going to be some glitches, there are going to be some weird stuff where it kind of fills in information mm -hmm. that it didn't get. But it's just going to be a replica of what you mm -hmm. give it. So if you give it a data set with wonky pronunciation or mm -hmm. your unique tonality and... Uh, emphasize mm. em emphasis on, on on certain words. It's going to reproduce that as well. Yeah. yeah. But well, we we would probably both have like the perfect training data because we we script all videos and then have the voiceover. So oh yeah, just yeah. If so, not just for ourselves but also for malicious purposes. So if you hear a deep fake of or if you hear an audio snippet of one of us. Um, be very cautious <laughs> obviously you, you you can you can tell them so you can tell them apart especially if it's like a, a bit of low quality compression noise whatever to it you yeah. have zero chance of actually uh distinguishing them yeah um have you seen the the instant nerf uh stuff that that ren has also been posting on twitter the instant nerf so are you familiar with uh nerf 3d imagery no okay let me fill you in you, you you've got a questioning look on your face <laughs> um so 3d scanning right we have um we have photogrammetry that is your typical 3d scanning approach you take up a, a camera you point it at something you move it around and then an algorithm um will calculate hey how does like how does this point shift around as i move the camera it, it uses perspective and all of that to create a 3D model. Um, of course, the other approach is like laser scanning, structured light. We're not going to factor that in. So what um, photogrammetry has issues with is transparent stuff. So anything that 
refract light. So like we can see, um, for audio listeners, I'm holding up a glass bottle. Um, you can see my fingers kind of refract behind that. And also it is transparent, so you can see the background behind it. Um, photogrammetry cannot capture that. So we, it would capture the, the stickers and that's it. Um, by the way, not sponsored, but... <laughs> um, now what Nerf does is it doesn't actually create a 3D model. It creates a, an understanding of a 3D scene. Um, and you, you give it the same input data as photogrammetry. You give it um, a full walk around of your object and it understands that, hey, if I look at it from, from this angle, it's going to have this information coming through it. So if you look at the instant nerves that, again, Ren has been posting, you get you get extremely believable 3D scenes. Um, two, two points maybe for that. I don't think that can be exported as a 3D model yet because it is mostly for a um, for a visually convincing view of the scene. Um, for example, like, uh, what's it called? Leaves and, and grass and fine details like that. They're going to look mm-hmm. great um, in, the, in the nerf. But they're still transparent, like you're not going to be able to produce it. There's no 3D model with that. There's a 3D understanding of the scene, but mm-hmm. there's no geometry behind that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's new approaches to computer vision and understanding like how scenes work. And maybe mm-hmm. at some point we can use that to, I don't know, augment photogrammetry um, data or actually export real 3D data from that. Mm-hmm. And I think the really interesting thing, especially for for visual artists or for computer games, is that with that additional information, they can also directly calculate all the the materials, the, the, like the bump maps, the refraction, Models, yeah, and 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 everything that's that's connected to like how a part will render in the end uh, with such an approach, which is which is really amazing. Well, I mean, the again, the, the instant nerfs or nerfs in general, they don't they don't work on that principle of having geometry and having uh, textures and bump maps and normals, etc. To it, it is it is an abstract, just like a, a neural network mm-hmm. is in general. It is not yeah. an understanding of hey, A results in B. No, it is yeah. like hey, we have a model that like this yeah. kind of the same way. It doesn't have that data internally, but maybe with the... I think what it's going to be really useful for is to, to generate additional perspectives for mm-hmm. other processes. Um, so you, you, you just do like a different bottle. It grew. You do one walk around of, of this thing, and then you can like generate additional perspectives that weren't yeah. in your original data set. Yeah. That's really interesting. So, yeah, it's, 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 it's an amazing field, and I often don't know if i should be excited or, or scared of the possibilities well what, what, what are you going to be scared of it's going to it's going to be there uh, no matter what so yeah that's the thing so we need to live with that and the thing is photoshop and, has been around for a while yeah. photoshop and vfx uh have been around for so long and you can do photorealistic fakes just with a bit more work it's of course now it's it's easier but you could still do them yeah well and we we talked about that a while ago. Uh, so I use a ton of the, how is it called? Uh, the the automated filling of, of parts when I do editing of videos, the um, huh. smart fill or smart fill thing called, yeah. in, in, in Photoshop, which helps you quickly get rid of 
things in the photo or if I have a picture but my I want a crop where I don't have any information at a, a certain point. Right. It works so well. And that's all things that, that help make processes more convenient and faster. Yeah. So. Actually, one of, the, one of the things that I've uh, considered using uh, and is, is it a neural network? Um, using uh, Dolly 2 for is just to finally be able to use some stock footage just to generate images that like visualize a concept that I've got in my head and just plop it in the video. The, <laughs> the images don't look, I mean, they look great if you have like three seconds to look at them, which is perfect for a video. If you stare at them for longer, they become kind of weird. Yeah. Uh, so you're going to start making out them, some things that are not quite the way they should be. Um, but for like, you know, the, the there's channels out there who like deliberately leave the uh, shutter stock or eye stock um, watermarks over over photos, uh, just as a joke. Or I don't know if they if they license it or not. Uh, but yeah, just using it as that. Um, just have like a visualize ideas, mm. maybe for that. And, and you're not going to find stock footage or stock video for that. Yeah. <sighs> We're, we're, we're drifting off topic. We're drifting off again. So I, I just took a sip out of my Prusa Slicer uh, shortcuts mug. And I got that with, with my Prusa meters. I got on printables with my models. And you wanted to tell a, a story about your Prusa meter problem that you currently have. Well, not, not much of a, of a story, but just a, just a heads up that, you know, I wasn't aware of that. So I've got my, my second Mark III. This was the assembled one. Uh, which can no, it's, it's not in frame um, which doesn't have the signed frame um, the kit one has the Joe Prusa signature on it um, but anyway that one is uh, slightly busted uh, the part cooling fan I had to use for the, for the other printer because that got ripped off with the with the Quinley system uh, and the Pinda was acting up so I need those two parts um, I would I would like to use genuine parts I do have a fake Pinda but yeah um, I'd rather have the genuine parts on there. I wanted to order those, and I was like, hey, I've got some Prusa meters on, on printables. Maybe maybe I can cash those in. So you go in there. Um, I've got like 750 Prusa meters, I think. I went in there was so like, hey. For everyone who doesn't know, okay. Prusa meters are a reward pro program currently at printables.com. So if you upload your designs and people download them and give them a like, you get Prusa meters and... For 300 Prusa meters, you get a free roll of filament and other stuff. Yeah, so it's 350 meters per, per roll of filament. Um, and basically, you um, you collect the Prusa meters on printables, formerly known as Prusa printers, um, where the name made a bit more sense. Uh, but you collect, the, um, you collect the meters there, and then you can trade it in for coupons for the Prusa shop. And I was like, hey, I could I could use uh, two spools of filament. That's like you can you can generate a coupon for that. I was like, sure, I need the parts. So let's grab a coupon. Uh, let's do that. Uh, the problem is there's an approval process for coupons. Um, it's not like you click the button and you instantly get the thing. It's um, it says like two or three days or something. But mm. so far, I've not heard anything. I, I clicked request coupon on I think Thursday or Friday. And yeah. Uh, so maybe if you if you like planning on using those coupons, um, click the button early. Yeah, 
Hey, uh, editing Tom here. So quick update on the Prusa meters situation because I couldn't leave this standing with like wrong information. It's incomplete information, okay? So Prusa was really fast with generating the coupon. I think it took them less than a day. But I did expect there was going to be like an email or at least like a little notification bell coming up on Prusa on printables. Um, but there's nothing like that. You, you have to manually go back and check. They were super fast. I just didn't notice. I just didn't know they had generated it yet. So maybe correction there. If you want a uh, Prusa meters coupon for filament or stuff, you have to manually go back and check whether they've generated it yet. So just to, to clarify that. For me, it was an hour or two and then I had them my problem was that I redeemed a coupon for two Prusherman spools and this uh, shortcuts mug and then I went into the shop and wanted to redeem both of the coupons yeah, which is not working coupon per order yeah one coupon per order but you can just uh, write the support with your coupon codes and then they put everything into um into one coupon code so i was okay. able to order everything and just had to pay for for shipping once that's good yeah i mean of course the thing with like influencers is if we'd ask if we'd pull a favor we would probably get like a spool or two sent to us um but still if there is an, an official process um why not why not give it a try why not why not try the the proper way and yeah i'm i'm, I'm ordering the replacement parts and paying for those because i broke them so <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm not pulling favors there yeah it's, well and they aren't too expensive the process is i like the pinda the pinda is 26 bucks 26 bucks did yeah. you get the the super pinda i think that's the only one they sell okay um or do they? There, there, there might be one other one, but that's the one that you get for like the Prusa machines. Like it fits the Mini, the Mark III S okay. Plus. Um, that's the one they sell. Okay. The fans are right price wise, um, especially if it's going to last longer and be quieter than the than the cheaper ones that I have. Yeah. Um, so, so mine, I still have the first ones on on both of mine, but they are already quite quite readily. And I don't know how long the bearing's gonna 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 last. Um, so it might also be good at some point to just replace them. Yeah, well, I, I use stuff until it breaks. Usually, <laughs> yeah. uh, as as long as I mean, the fan is not something that that like it's still gonna blow air, right? It's just gonna be a bit noisy, <laughs> if anything. But it's not like hey, if you neglect something like a bearing and you don't grease mm. it or oil it. Um, yeah that's going to damage other parts in the process. But with a fan, yeah. like, whatever. But the the thing is, well, the, the story you told me before, why you are currently using your printers and things like that, um, I also use them for test parts for me. So I need to have consistent printing results or consistent, like, boundary conditions. True. And if you have, like, a new printer, even if it's the same model and, and the fan is working better, and then you have one that, I, I don't know, mine has probably 5,000 hours of printing on it. Um, yeah, I've, I've the results might be different times. because maybe maybe, maybe the cooling is not as strong anymore. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a tough thing if you're printing on, on multiple machines at the same time, um, yeah. which is why I've, I've less, left my Prusa machines pretty much stock. I mean, this one has a Volcano on it, which is super easy to swap back. The other one has a Revo, but the Revo performs almost identical to a V6. So they're like 
for the most part comparable and if i do for, so I've, I've done temperature tests uh, with pla and ptg what i could do is use one machine for the pla use the other one for the ptg and just mm. compare it within itself and i mean the, the only thing that i want to know is hey are layer or is layer adhesion better with higher temperatures mm. is there material degradation um that sort of stuff and that is always a relative comparison yeah what i do eventually want to do is get that guy um set back up with the um with the ejector yeah. audio folks that's the voron i'm pointing to behind me um with the audio ejector and just have that print parts consistently i would need to go away from the or, or swap out the slice engineering mosquito magnum plus because a 0.8 nozzle with like a five six seven eight centimeter melt zone um doesn't make for like the best benchmark prints it's just a, it, it's a lot of filament that comes out of that thing yeah. um, so i would probably go for like a i don't know revo regular mosquito um and a 0.6 and, and that would be just perfect for that yeah and it's just going to keep on working until it runs out of uh, print beds and then it's not going to notice and it's going to start printing onto the magnet film but that's a different solution that's a different problem for me to solve <laughs> yeah uh. speaking of uh, solutions to problems today's episode sponsor is Seriatech and their build resin so Stefan do you have uh, do you actually have resin printers that you use regularly I, I have not, but I am getting back into resin printing finally again, since I have a dedicated room for it now. So tell me more about uh, Seriatech's build resin. Seriatech build is um, one of the many resins that Seriatech has, of course. Um, we featured them on the channel before, I think. I featured them on my channel before. Yep. Um, build is the one... Let me point it into the camera here. Uh, build is the one that is optimized for mechanical parts. So what, what they're saying is it can be tapped. So it's not going to splinter as or it's not going to be as brittle as some of the other typical SLA resins. Um, it's low warp, which is pretty good uh, for stuff that, of course, needs to be dimensionally accurate. Um, and they've also optimized it with that low warp approach for thin parts, like electronics cases. And they're specifically listing train models. Um, <laughs> have, have, have you ever followed the um, or gotten into model trains? Ah, uh, decades back. <laughs> But oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. So no, you... not anymore. The the thing I really like about the um, Seriatex resins is that they are mixable. So um, if you, for example, have like. The, uh, the, 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 the build resin or th their blue resin, you can, for example, mix it with the tenacious resin to get it more impact resistant and, and things like that, which is something I think don't, that there isn't that much information around, but is something that is, is really cool. So you can tune the properties of your resin to, well, the application you need it for. And Seriatex resins are, are great for that. Yeah, um, they're usually ones that I grab when I print stuff um, because I have a ton of it and I know it works really great on, on most of the printers. Honestly, like I've been happy with all the resins. Um, and yeah, the fact that you can choose specific ones for specific jobs is a really good bonus. So yeah, I think that's all we have to say about the Seriatech uh, build resin and Seriatech's other resins. Um, check them out at the link below. And thanks again to Seriatech for sponsoring this episode. Yes, thank you. 
And yes, always wear gloves when handling resins, um, even just the bottles, because they usually have some sort of resin contamination on the outside. Just good practice. These are 10 cents. You throw them away once you're done. Maybe just a quick thing about uh, after that. I, I thought about building a glove box for all of my resin stuff. <laughs> what, what, what do you mean a glove box? Really a glove box, something like uh, you would also have, if you're, for example, sandblasting, a box where you have the printer on the inside oh. and you're using those really oh. long and, th and thick gloves yeah. and you don't need to ch uh, swap out all of the time. Because, yeah. Uh, it's, it's so not a glove box like in a car. Uh, I no, was thinking, like, like, how, what, yeah. what would a glove box do for that? No, like a, um, a fume hood with gloves to, to reach into. Exactly. Okay. Is this something you have ever seen or think that that would work? Or do you think that just like the, the sticky resin that you will also get on like the thick gloves will make working with resins at some point uncomfortable anymore and you have the benefit of, of using uh, uh, like just disposable ones because they are not sticky when they're new? Yeah, so I've, I've used, um, I've had Uvex um, gloves for a while, like the, the ones that go up a, a mm -hmm. bit further on, on your arm um, with the nice padding on the inside or the, the mm -hmm. velvety material on the inside. Um, they were pretty great. Um, they did break eventually. They did rip. Okay. Um, and as far as I'm aware, they're also not rated for like stuff that sticks to them. Um, mm -hmm. Eventually, whatever is in the resins will break through those gloves and okay. accumulate on the inside. So I've gone back to just using disposable gloves. Um, for the price that you pay for them, 10 cents per glove um, or even less. Um, I think I got these for like seven or eight cents. It's really a no-brainer. You, you always have clean gloves. The thing is also once you get stuff on your gloves, um, so you know when once you touch a resin print or something, I just take the glove off, uh, put in a new pair because I don't want to spread the resin everywhere. Mm -hmm. And with like permanent gloves um, or, or thicker ones that you keep, uh, you, you'd always have to to f uh, wash them down with uh, with ethanol, IPA, acetone, whatever dissolves your resin. In a fume hood, if you consider like the entire inside of the fume hood to be <laughs> contaminated, it, it will be contaminated eventually. You're going to get yeah. resin all over everything in there, including the touchscreens on your printers, um, the entire hood, all that is eventually going to get covered in resin. It's a good approach for limiting and, and capturing fumes and, and smells for sure. Mm. I right now I have um, one of the IKEA Fernuftic uh, air filters with an active carbon filter in there uh, sitting next to my resin printers and that works okay-ish. Um, I would still prefer to have something that is like fully enclosed and mm -hmm. at least has like a sliding door. I yep. probably wouldn't go so far as to like have a full fume hood with the reaching gloves but at least have them enclosed. I think that is a good idea yep. in the case. Cool. So s staying at resins you wanted to talk about your carbon fiber lamination project uh yeah so maybe i can show some photos of that um buddy of mine has a um an rc10 b4.1 which used to be mine i sold him that thing um and he's been in need of new um body parts 
essentially. So you always have the, the body shell and you have mm -hmm. the, the wing in the back. And we've just been doing some carbon fiber lamination, just some hand layups. Um, that is UD fiber. Um, and that's been an incredibly interesting process. Um, so UD, that is bi-directional. There you go. Um, I know it looks rough, looks scuffed, um, but you, you typically clear coat those. And I've just been printing that into uh, 3D printed molds, into 3D printed shells. This geometry, as it turns out, is horrible for hand lamination or for laminating stuff in general because it has like double 90 degree corners and whatever okay. um, matting material, glass fiber mm -hmm. or carbon fiber you put in there is yep. always going to bunch up in those corners. Yeah. Um, but that is, you know, if you have the shapes for it, if you have like whatever smooth curve, I did a, I did another model that had the same external dimensions, but only smooth curves. It can turn out incredibly well. Um, I think that is a nice one. Sorry for audio listeners. Um, mm -hmm. You're not seeing the beauty of this thing right now. There we go. That's, that's really nice. That's glass fiber. Yeah. So that's five layers of glass fiber, I think. Okay. Um, of 170 gram glass fiber, something uh, in, mm -hmm. in that neighborhood. Um, end result so was, was a bit under one millimeter thick. Okay. Extremely rigid. Extremely rigid, okay. extremely strong. Um, we did vacuum back these, um, just in like those, um, no, what are they called? Um, those hand vacuum bags that you get with a little pump, um, yep. those Ziploc bags, essentially. Okay. Really simple process in the end. Um, yep. And 3D printing makes for amazing molds for this um, because you can you can just go into Fusion 360, go like, hey, I've got this, you know, I've got the final shape that I want. I'm going to mm -hmm. extend this surface by a centimeter or 15 millimeters, mm -hmm. I think, in this case. And um, I also added a cut line, um, mm -hmm. just had a little tube um, that I extruded and that imprints on the on the finished part. It works really well. I, we, we still need to figure out, like, what is the best... Um, mold release for this stuff mm -hmm. um we used car car noba wax um car polish wax mm -hmm. um we didn't put nearly enough on it um mm. so I've, I've read you need to put like six layers and wait two hours between coats uh we just did one and immediately laminated on it so it was a bit of pain to release mm -hmm. um but yeah that's something that i think has with 3d printed molds has huge potential because again it is super easy to do it makes for parts that are thin which mm -hmm. 3D printing really cannot do that well. Um, mm -hmm. It makes for parts that are incredibly rigid and incredibly mm -hmm. strong. And yeah, it's not. It's it's fun to do. It's a fun learning experience. Um, in any in either case. Um, how did you pre-treat your 3D prints before you um, did the release wax on them? So um, what I used, well, the first, <laughs> yeah. um, I, I can tell you a lot of stuff that doesn't work. <laughs> so, so the first ones we did. That's the thing we want to hear. Yeah. So the, the first ones we did were, maybe, maybe there's going to be a video about this at some point. Um, the first ones we did were regular FDM prints um, mm -hmm. and we used filler, um, just mm -hmm. rattle can filler. Um, we were super impatient. We just used a, a hot air gun to, to dry that as quickly as possible. Um, and then we sanded it down. And we put the wax over it, and the um, the filler just stuck to the laminate completely. Mm -hmm. Like it, it ripped it out, away from the um, from the three D print. Um, so maybe if you if you wait for long enough, that works. But what did actually work better was with the resin prints, 
First of all, because they have a smoother surface, you, always, you definitely need a smooth surface, or otherwise your print is going to key, or your, your resin is going to key into your print. Um, I used I used resin prints um, done with Sriatec resin actually. Um, resin prints, sanded those down with 400, 800, 1200 grit. Um, just until all the layer lines and, and pixel geometry was gone. And then did two coats of Rattlecan clear coat that I left to dry for 24 hours. Mm-hmm. That makes for a glass-like surface. Um, of course, you could also do the thing that's that's hip on TikTok right now, where you just dip your prints into, um, into lacquer. Um, that is also going to work. Whatever gives you a smooth surface is going to work. So there we go. That is the surface that I got after um two coats clear coat so that is basically mirror finish mm. you can polish it up with a bit of a fine car polish and then that's your that's the perfect surface for doing uh, your release agent on too cool yeah do you know the um uh the easy composites youtube of course channel i do of course i do that's yeah. where i got my entire knowledge of uh of, of <laughs> laminating from so so everyone who don't know them they are i think they're a company who are selling carbon fiber accessories a british company they they and do carbon fiber and carbon fiber accessories yeah um british company they also have a, a eu warehouse okay yeah. and they do some amazing work also and i i got to know them with also like 3d printed molds and and um and laminating over them so it's really impressive to see what you can even do in your home shop and i they've only got like 25 videos on their channel which is amazing they're like the the institution of youtube laminating uh, fiber stuff but yeah with a handful of videos yeah yeah so i worked using the same process i think 20 years ago and I did the the body of a Cessna 182 aircraft. Full scale or model? No, 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 just model airplane. <laughs> okay, okay. And my process was building a, a positive model from yeah. the Cessna, then laminating a mold over like the positive model, then taking that 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 mold apart and then laminating into into that into those half molds as well and it was a pain to do and so much work and in the so i I was using i found drawings online with section of the airplane that i Mm. that i printed out then i cut out of a foam i sanded everything i um I painted everything, I polished everything, and it was it was a pain to do. And with all of the 3D models we currently have and all with the freely available CAD software and the 3D printers, this process would now be so much easier. And and if your mold yeah. needs to be bigger, yeah, just print it in a couple of parts, screw it together. As, as long as you can align them properly um, before you, you laminate into, which would be definitely possible. Yeah, if you know CAD, shouldn't be a problem. Um, super nice possibilities to use 3d printing as a tool to make something yeah well to 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 make a better product you wouldn't be able to do uh, beforehand so well seriously cool for the most part for the most part you can also see and see your molds um because your your geometry is typically going to be a 2.5d if it has like full three geometry in there you're not going to be able to release it all that well typically 
Um, but yeah, 3D printing makes it makes it accessible on on simple machines too, right? Definitely, um, because who has well. Well, before 3D printers, there were CNCs. There were CNCs, and of course, but, but CNCing one of those molds is at first way more complex and way more expensive. So 3D printing just makes sense, especially if you're doing just a, a small production run. Yeah, yeah. still, you, you do need to spend some time sanding, which I know nobody likes, but you, you just have to do it unless yeah. you do like the, the, the process, which does shift your geometry around a bit. Mm. Um, but yeah, you can do very very accurate parts um with just a bit of sanding a uh, bit of clear coat and uh 3d printed molds what i might use this for is um the that the robot thing that i keep talking about i know mm. <laughs> it, it keeps it keeps changing it keeps becoming new, <laughs> new things um so i had a quick chat with uh do 3d about their robot support in uh, repair firmware and they were very clear that like, hey it's still in beta we're working on this you can try and use it but like there be dragons mm. um what could actually work a lot better for um have i talked about this before i don't know what could actually work a lot better is just a scara um a, mm -hmm. a serial scara where it has uh one z-axis that moves up and down and then mm -hmm. one rotational axis going off from that and then from that mm -hmm. another rotational axis mm -hmm. um and then you have whatever gimbal for a camera or whatever mm -hmm. you have on, on, on the front. And you can, with compound moves from, from those two rotational axes, you can do like a, a pretty wide working area. And honestly, for a camera robot, I think that would be a better geometry um, than a full-on robot arm. Um, especially doesn't look that cool. Does it? Does it, does it not look cool when you have like two full carbon fiber laminated arms in there? Well, if it's made from carbon fibers, that's, that's a different story. Yeah, yeah. So that that's that's where that all kind of ties together. I was thinking like doing because you need whatever moves in the robot needs to be lightweight, right? And it needs to yeah. be very rigid. Um, so I was thinking like, hey, you do the, the Z axis with like a big steel profile and linear rails and whatever, and then you have whatever rotational joint going off from that, and then just a carbon fiber tube, and then another joint. And because you know sometimes you get some warp, etc., um, you just glue in whatever rotational actors you need and whatever bearings you need into mm. a separate part you have it on a on a jig um mm. you glue it all together you do it in multiple parts easy you know easy process should make for a great mm. functional part maybe so and and the reason why they are suggesting scara over like a full robot thing is because the reverse kinematics are already implemented or just uh, I, in general, I, they said that's going to be easier. No, nah, so that, that was not um, do it 3D suggestion. Um, okay. That was just me looking through the documentation and saying, hey, yeah, reverse or uh, serial SCARA also works um, mm -hmm. for what I'm trying to do and would be easier to implement. It would also be easier to implement from a mechanical standpoint because you have um, no static forces on your joints. Um, SCARA basically has like linear or, or flat joints mm -hmm. two flat joints um and you need no holding torque whereas yep. with a robot you yep. always have this thing that needs to like stay mm -hmm. up and then this thing which always needs to support the weight that's on your tool head mm -hmm. so it's way simpler from a, from a mechanical standpoint as well yeah and just as flexible i could put it in the corner there on my desk it could reach the a cam b cam it can go up and do the you know yeah 
put a 3D printing head on it and you've got yourself a massive 3D printer. <laughs> yeah. So what, what you've been up to is uh, releasing another video that, that's been kind of a play on mine. Um, we're making stuff obsolete. It, it ha the title has been a play on yours because your video was, was working so well. But uh, the reason why I put it into the show notes is because we both talked about making things obsolete. So you said 0.4 millimeter nozzle is going to be obsolete. I boldly stated that you don't need a full volcano hot end. Just basically screw a volcano nozzle into a normal heater block and you're almost going to have the same performance. Um, and uh, and I, I had some thoughts on your video because I was using your go. method <laughs> I was using your method uh, last week or something like that and compared parts which is, which, with each other and also let me think and also printed a a sign that's now in front of, of my shop which says okay here is CNC Kitchen now at this address and things like that. And I used uh, just the Arachnis Slicer. So the, the comments are on the Arachnis Slicer and the 0.6mm nozzle. So um, for, in general, just mechanical parts, I really see the advantage of the Arachnis Slicing Engine and 0.6mm nozzle because you can print faster, print more material at, at the same time, making stronger parts. Um, and you seriously still get almost the same quality um, as before, uh, which I find really interesting. But before when being point four with the previous exactly. slicing engine, yeah, exactly. The thing that I I didn't like that much about the process i don't know uh, maybe the profile wasn't tuned in in that much is that especially like the top surfaces they looked way rougher because like the extrusion paths they were thicker so this was one of the things that really sprung into my eye when when i saw the parts and if somebody would have given me those parts i would have directly noticed that this was printed with a with a bigger nozzle um The, the overall shape and, and quality of the parts probably was the same, but um, there is there's maybe still a difference in the look of your parts. So if you are after having parts that look really nice and having more smooth surfaces and things like that, a 0.4 millimeter nozzle with the Arachne engine might yeah. still be the better way to go because now it allows you to print even smaller details with the same nozzle that you used before um, instead of using a bigger nozzle being more versatile and, and printing faster so so th there are two applications so in in my opinion there's there is still the necessity for smaller nozzles but of course they are maybe not as important anymore as as they used to be and especially if you're only looking for mechanical parts i think this is now the way to go yeah and uh, i i do kind of mention that in the video as well where it's at the end briefly uh, yeah. because the, the main thing was like 0.6 with a rock versus yeah. 0.4 with the previous approach yeah. um i do mention that as well like if you want yeah. the maximum quality you just stick with 0.4 you upgrade to a and 
you you're gonna have a, a a better time than before you're not gonna gain much in speed but you just get a you get you get significantly better detail reproduction and that's good of course the parts with 0.6 are still going to be printed with a 0.6 yeah. um <laughs> there's, there's no way around that i mean you could decrease the extrusion width but then like what's the point mm. uh and it's not going to print that well so it's mm. still going to have the wider extrusion track i did not see on my parts that there was a significant difference in like roughness of top surfaces mm. um, that's not something that i did see however what does of course happen is a 15 percent infill um on a 0.6 is going to be a wider pattern mm. um than a 15 percent infill on a 0.4 yeah. simply because to get that same material ratio yeah. you have to i mean your extrusion track is wider so the gap also becomes wider um that is something that maybe you can see on parts if you use the same layer height um because a, a 0.6 is not gonna bridge those larger gaps mm. as well as a 0.4 with a smaller gap so same yeah. same amount of top layers you're gonna have a bit more infill printing through yeah that's probably right and the other thing that i noticed um in general, I still think Arachne is is a real game changer. But with Prusa Slicers, I think now it's Alpha 3 implementation. Yeah. I had the impression, and I thought it would be the other way around. Um, when I printed the sign with a couple of really small letters, I had more gaps in between the letters or in the letters as if I would have used... Uh, the standard slicing engine. So the gap fill that's at least implemented in Prusa slicers sometimes helps you to fill certain areas of your uh, print that Arachne somehow doesn't do because for the infill, it's only using like normal or consistent, constant extrusion with extrusions. And I think you see the That's same it. thing on I, I am able to see the same things on my Banshee as well um, in especially in the corners at the back of uh, where are we at the back of the what's that trunk or the trough in the back yeah yeah something like that so um, you can already see that when you're uh, looking at the, the, the slicer preview that at at those corners when uh, for the outer and inner parameters when they are already at the widest extrusion that they are using they're sometimes not really filling that small gap that's left over and the old right. slicing engine right, right. they uh, sometimes did gap, gap infill in that areas maybe that would have left over extrusions from, from time to time but this was one of the things I thought still needs to be optimized in a way. It would be interesting to see if the implementation in, in Cura works better. And what I noticed, you you can still enable gap fill in Prusa Slicer now, but I think as soon as you're using Arachne uh, Slicing Engine, it doesn't do any gap fill anymore. Mm, I don't know if, uh, if you can even turn gap fill on or off at all you can do detect in lines yeah but not gap, gap yeah. fill i i don't know um yeah so the um, let, let me think over with the um thin line infill yeah there are still a couple of of issues where um Arachne does weird stuff 
Um, I've definitely noticed that. But I, at at the time, I was I was willing to brush over that because it's mm. Alpha Two. I used Alpha Two for the entire video, yeah. even though Alpha Three was kind of around the corner. I switched to Alpha Three. I saw a bunch of stuff actually improve um, yeah. in the way that it's being printed. So I'm I'm just thinking, hey, these these early issues like you you're seeing, there's a, still a gap there. I think that's going to be fixed just in in fine tuning the way that Arachne works. Um, of course, yeah. we also need to need to consider that this is a really novel approach and it takes some time to i don't know finish all of the issues that are still left over so i don't really complain in that regard but i have noticed some things where i thought ah maybe this could be better or this was still better with uh with just the conventional way of slicing and as i said i don't know if the cura implementation is already better in that regard i didn't try that out yet yeah um of course what you're always going to have with arachne as a as a bonus that you kind of have to weigh against um the classic approach is that with the classic approach stuff that is below two perimeter widths mm. doesn't have any guarantee of getting printed at all unless you yeah. enable uh, detecting lines detecting walls and that's yeah. that's its whole other mess <laughs> by itself that's its a whole, whole other mess and i think you also mentioned it in the video that you can't really be sure that your wall thicknesses are going to be how you intended them to be, how they were in CAD or in the model itself. And where I also had my issues in the past with the single wall extrusion is that they're sometimes not there. Well, I think they're in general not connected to, to other perimeters. So they kind of yeah. stand free on their own and yeah, you have a seam where they start. You don't just have end. a seam. You actually have a gap that you can look through at some points. Yeah. Exactly. So this is something that is now way better. So, yeah. yeah. Good stuff. Um yeah, with the with the volcano, we've we've, we've briefly uh, you know joked around with hey, like could you do that with a super volcano? <laughs> or um, what what I've talked about too is like hey, can you have like multiple volcano blocks and make a volcano? No, 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 no. no, no, no. no, no, no. <laughs> and at which point, at which point does a volcano stop making sense? Like how long? And, and, because you, you do have to weigh like what is the friction of your molten filament um, mm -hmm. versus the increase in in in, in how thoroughly your filament mm. is molten when it pushes out the nozzle. Yeah. So, yeah, I think super volcano. I don't think there's much to gain past that, but who knows? Um, it would it would be really interesting. I never I never held a super volcano nozzle in my hand i think you 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 have one yeah but they are like super massive and and long and um <laughs> at least for my part i have never seen any numbers on how good they really are and how they for example compare to i don't know the rapido ultra high flow or slice engineering's mosquito how's the new one called mosquito magnum plus well, it's not really new. It's uh, it's been out for a while, but the biggest one is the Mosquito Magnum Plus. Yeah, exactly. Because I think the Mosquito Magnum Plus they have an extended melt zone above the heating block with the heat break, yep. and they now also extended um, the melt zone zone downwards. So the Magnum just extends upwards, and the Magnum yeah. Plus also extends downwards. Yeah. So this is the. Oh, reveal. 
<laughs> that's the super volcano nozzle. Yeah. Um, it is like it is. Uh, let me put that up to my face for like scale. It's almost my my it, pupil it, distance. It makes a perfect thumbnail. <laughs> <laughs> uh, time code fifty two forty four. Let me just write that down. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the the thing is, and if you're really aiming for for high flow or ultra high flow. Um, you need to tune the whole system for that. So just having a longer melt zone, of course, will help you to, at some point, bring all of the energy into the material and melt it properly. But the frictional losses that you have when the material is still not molten and the viscous losses that you're having just by the molten material flowing through the nozzle will create back pressure. And if your feeder is not able to push that filament against that force, uh, you will not be able to extrude uh extrude any more material so yeah. what i find really interesting and i'm i'm currently planning to do that and 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 uh, doing the setup on that is uh comparing the extrusion forces of different uh extruders so we have a ton of these really small extrusion gears the bontech gears which has been becoming very common but with the large ext extrusion gears, for example, like on the LGX the extruder or <laughs> yeah. or, or uh, Prusa's next extruder, yeah. they can grip more into the material. Then we have a proper printing spelt extruder where you have a belt, a longer belt that is yeah. uh, that is pushing the filament downwards. But does that does that really make contact along the entire length? That's the question. Yeah. That, that's what I really want to find out. And what I also want to do is, uh, can you daisy chain feeders? Ooh. <laughs> it, sh it should be should be possible because they, they don't... Like the, the obvious thing is like, hey, uh, if one turns slightly faster, or if, yeah. you know, you're going to get a ton of tension between these. But yeah. Since extruders actually can slip quite a bit, um, yeah. I think you've, you've shown that um, yeah. in, in, in many of your experiments, it should be possible. Maybe have the, the one that's closer to the nozzle run a bit faster? Slower? Uh, slower? Slower? Yeah, slower? slower? I don't probably, know if, if, slower, if you would yeah. need to have a control algorithm that detects the force between the first and the second extruder. So you always need to make sure that this is positive, that um, the last extruder is not dragging filament through the first one. Yeah, just just run the run the pre-extruder in a constant force mode. Trinamic drivers can do that. Um, okay. I think Dewey can do that as well, where you, you okay. switch it from actually holding positions to just applying a constant torque to it. Um, okay. That, that, that could be something. Yeah. That could be something, but I think... it. it that's a really great idea, but would that because the thing is when you're having uh, 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 when when the filament is not slipping, it has the maximum force on the material, but as soon as it starts slipping, the force will go down. Um, and how does that distinguish this case to the case where you don't just need that much force. Well, you, you don't really have stiction or, or a slip grip um, in an extruder because you, you're mechanically keying the teeth into the filament. So I, I don't think it's quite that same thing. I think extruder slip more is the filament deforming mm. at the teeth and kind of giving you... Uh, yeah. the, if, if you want to see the extrusion gear, um, the tooth gear... Um, 
as a true gear, you would actually have a longer or shorter pitch um, on your rack that is the filament now um, if you have more or less back pressure. That's, that's, yeah. a, that's what I think is happening there. Okay. And it's not so much, I mean, if it would slip, you'd see it shear through the filament, essentially, right? Um, and when, when you really have a s slip in the extruder that way, you, you're just burning through the filament. You, you're biting through. You're, yeah. you're grinding through it. That's the, that's the term. Interesting approach. Uh, yes, since you can measure the, the back EMF and, and everything from the, 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 the stepper motors that would be a viable option. Yeah, I need to think about that. Um, Turbine is using that for the hang printer calibration. Um, okay. to get the to get the lines taut um, to get them stretched perfectly okay. um, he just puts all the or the three drivers into constant force mode and it mm -hmm. just stretches it well, it's four drivers um, it just stretches it and um, yeah it, 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 I think the the Tremix drivers still keep track of position um, mm -hmm. which doesn't matter that much for extruders but yeah they, they can produce a constant torque mm -hmm. interesting good that we talked about that well That's it. Let's see what you do with it. Uh, so on the topic of extruders, what, yes. a, what a perfect segue. Um, we have an update from Prusa. Um, always good to hear stuff from, from them. Uh, even if it's not particularly good news, um, it's a mixed bag on the Prusa XL. You've got one on pre-order. How, how, how do the, the updates make you feel? Well, I I have a ton of stuff to do, so I'm, I'm I don't feel that bad that the the XL is gonna be it's gonna be delayed. But it is unfortunate to see that uh, part shortage is really affecting the release of of new machines, and is is just yeah, yeah. well holding them back. So yeah. Um, Prusa, they released a new blog post about the, the Prusa XL and uh, one of the main takeaways is that they're having huge problems with part shortage, uh, electronics, I think also aluminum extrusions and there's a, a ton of stuff that is very hard to get at the moment. Sometimes you can't get them at all, especially in the numbers that they might need and sometimes they are just everything is bought up by scalpers and you're paying magnitudes more yeah. for parts that were so cheap uh, before then yeah so and the, bad. the the thing is also what they're saying is that they don't want to use clones for parts which is an option that i think companies are starting to resort to um mm -hmm. like just chuck a gd32 uh in there instead of an stm32 yeah. uh, which is one of the parts they specifically mention uh you can do that if you have like if if you're just jiggling or juggling around <laughs> jiggling around if you're juggling around components and you design mm. to what you have at the time like uh if you're uh, one of the printer companies who releases a new printer every two months so yeah you design one with one part and then you're like ah oh, well these parts aren't really in stock anymore well we'll just make another v2 neo plus um of this printer and it's going to use the GD32, or it's going to use this different sensor or this different driver, whatever you can get at the time. Um, and they buy, I don't know, 50,000 of the parts, and once they're out of stock, they release the next machine, which uses different parts. Prusa don't want to do that, uh, so they, they've been very explicit about, hey, we want to use like the, the brand name parts, the genuine ones, and we want to keep it 
consistent over the printer's lifetime, more or less, as much as possible. Yeah, so that's that's component shortage. Unfortunately, not something I think a small company uh, like Prusa can really. That's been that's been one of the the questions that I got on Patreon recently. Um, I don't think component shortages is something that a small company like Prusa can really put any leverage to. Like, did did you um, follow the news on Nvidia uh, recently on their chip overstock? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. So what, what Nvidia did was they they looked at how much uh, the RTX three thousand or how many of the RTX three thousand cards they were moving, and they booked uh, fab capacity for semiconductors uh, for RTX four thousand, thinking that trend would continue. And then Bitcoin crashed, and now they have much more fab capacity booked than they're probably going to be able to move GPUs. So, um, what are they, what are they going to do with that? They've the, the thing I'm trying to illustrate is like the big players have contracts for years um, on fab capacity and and components um, when they're buying them. Someone like Prusa can't do that. They can't go to a TSMC and say, "Hey, you guys fabricate a hundred thousand or." half a million stm 32s for us now that's like they're gonna be like a pfft. go 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 to like i don't know some some back alley uh chinese fab maybe maybe they'll do that but we're not gonna bother with you um so yeah the, the thing is yeah there's no leverage there unfortunately mm. yeah it's it's affecting many and i still find it kind of a good move that they're not trying to get it out with any component that that they can get hold of because i think that would produce way more problems than like not delivering the machine because they're not tested that that much they don't know how the longevity is and, and things like that so we'll see yeah i think the blog post currently says that they're planning to ship the first units in December but in the current situation it's probably going to take them half a year to fulfill the pre-orders yeah just which, to to work through that which is oh, really really bad how much do you think um, component shortages and, and supply chain stuff was affecting uh, these well the <laughs> This is this is a can of spray spray pen and <laughs> regular. Uh, <laughs> what is this, a point eight? Yeah. Um, L- look at me. I have a genuine one right here. Yeah, I've, I've got them. I've got them here somewhere too, but I misplaced them. Yeah, so, it looks, look, I, it's it, just it, a bit yellowish on the on the thread. And I have I have copper right here. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I did not have any insight into that. I would personally personally think that. It's a very minimum amount of like metals that they need. The only thing that they probably need to properly source is the um, stainless steel tube, because that's that not a something. Part, yeah, that's not off the shelf. That's 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 quite uh, specific. The the coating itself, it's a diamond like uh, diamond like carbon coating, I think, something like that. It's called E three DLC, and I believe that does imply that it is and in fact the dlc but it's a specific flavor of of dlc that they developed i think that that was that was actually the the biggest part to make sure that doesn't crack or wear off and stick to the materials they're coding yeah so this is also i guess one of the standard process you can get at big coding companies like 
Balsos or Erlikon or how they're called. Um, so I would not have thought that that sourcing would be a, a problem for, for these parts. And especially since they are uh, producing them in the UK, I guess. I don't know where, where they're making or where they're fabricating stuff right now. But yeah, that's that's been the goal for E3D to produce stuff more locally um, than yep. they did in the past. So can, can, can you tell us more uh, uh, on the availability and problems with the availability of the uh, obsidian nozzles? First was of all... this just like a really serious question? <laughs> Uh, what do you mean? If I if I know if um, sourcing problems okay, or uh, part shortage, yeah, no, I I, I don't I don't have any more insights okay. there uh, either. Um, I don't know if the release date has been made public yet. I don't think so. Um, all we know is like an approximate date. Yeah. Um. Yeah, that's that. <laughs> Um, maybe maybe one note. Uh, I'm going to be pronouncing this uh, op exidian because <laughs> obvious reasons. Uh, it's a, it's an uppercase X. Um, uppercase letters are always pronounced individually, so it is op exidian. Um, pimp my nozzle for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So, so my plans for for op exidian is um, I'll be destroying them. Um, at least the point four one because I don't care for the point four. They also sent me a point six um, yeah. in you know wise foresight. Um, so I'll, I'll I'll test how how tough they really are. Um, I don't know. You, you'll probably test how well they print. Um, but I'm, I'm I'm just taking that for granted. I'm, I'm saying hey, you know, if E3D released something that's been two years in the making, essentially, it's probably gonna perform pretty good in the, in the terms of like its core function of extruding filament um and i'm going to look at the thing that is different from what we've had so far what, what, are, what are your plans <sighs> at first taking nice macro shots of the of the nozzles that that's actually something i wanted to do yesterday but i was so I don't know, burned out from last week that mm. I uh, did not have the time to do it. Uh, so at first, pretty pictures because they do look a bit different than other nozzles. And then, of course, uh, print tests. I, I'm thinking about I have a ton of different carbon fiber materials right here and just use the obsidian to um, compare different carbon fiber filaments, how, oh, how they yeah. print and how the... Um, uh, like the material property is going to be in the end but that would uh, maybe require to finish my Voron build at some point <laughs> uh, yeah I mean mine's, mine's my Voron is still like not really finished It's it doesn't have the panels on it but it prints it doesn't yeah. have a serial number but it prints uh, so yeah so well, my my build. I really wanted to finish the Voron after Murph, but then came COVID isolation, so I wasn't in the office. And then came hand mouth foot disease, so I didn't want to work yeah. at that point. Um, it is more work than I thought. So uh, Jason from LDO, I think he said it's going to be like around forty hours of of, of work yeah. to to assemble one. Mechanically, I'm almost finished with it but now i need to do all of the wiring and everything which one are you building the uh 2.4 300 millimeters okay so from same, ldo same one i have 
Um, yeah. I have the cheap kit. Uh, you've got yeah. the proper one. Unfortunately, the, I, I think the, the real thing. advantage of my machine is uh, that it has all of the wiring pre-done because you, I think, still did all of the wiring yourself, all uh, of the crimping. Not, not, no, no, no. So I had, okay. um, the kit did include, uh, I think like a 500 meter roll of uh, silicone wire, 0.5 millimeter uh, silicone wire, which I have used in various projects, but I did not use on the printer. Um, I did have two different wiring kits. Yeah, I had one okay. that I, I think I ordered and I've got another one that I got sent um, specifically made for the printer and... Yeah, it's it's all linked in the in the live stream series. Okay. I can't remember who exactly but, it was but, from, but uh, it was your a kits didn't in, Yeah, but your kits didn't include a wiring kit. Correct. The the kits, okay, yeah. the wiring kits were completely separate. No. Um, I did. I think still have to crimp like one or two connectors specifically okay. for Duet because Duet uses um, the the larger what are they mm. called HC connectors. Um, but yeah. I, I that's that's just not something I find enjoyable. So even though wiring kit is 120 bucks, I think that is 120 bucks well spent. Yeah. And this is one of the things. So I I really want to make a video on the Voron 2.4 build and just say like, yeah, building a Voron 2.4 in 2022 because like previously, previously even when we built our Voron, so I did it last beginning of last year. Um, there weren't many kits around and yeah. the Voron guys even did not really suggest to buy a kit and rather source proper parts yourself. But it it it's wouldn't just, it would not have been something I would have done. And the first kits they were they were alright. But now with the LDO kit and and all of the other ones that are that are around, they make the building process way more enjoyable. You still need to print all of the parts or you um, buy them from another Voron owner. Um, but everything is nicely la laid out. You have yeah. a, a good manual and um, all of the wiring is pre-done, which yeah. is really nice. That, that's that's really the biggest part. Yeah, yeah. It's still not as straightforward as, as building a Prusa, uh, to be honest. Uh, but pr the Prusa manuals are overkill, in my opinion. They are dumped down that even this most stupid monkey could build one yeah they're, they're too detailed which is why i skip yeah. over significant parts and then i, I miss the parts that are actually uh, exactly. important so that's maybe a bit too much uh, the, the Voron manuals i mean the, it's it's the official manuals uh from the Voron team yeah. it, it, or did you get a different one with the kit no i uh, okay. got the official one from the Voron team okay yeah so yeah it I'm, is still a bit bare bones but it's I was really enjoying myself building it so far. What extruder hot end solution are you putting in yours? So stealth I have, burner? I have the the stealth burner with the um, Revo Voron, and that's oh, that's right. the reason yeah. why I could use the Obsidian on on that one. It's Obsidian. Obsidian. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah, I mean. It's, uh... You know, I, I have I have like uh, two chunks of real obsidian, um, so I'm 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 obviously gonna play on that in in the obsidian uh, video. Just uh, if eventually, maybe I wanna I wanna try and make like a, a ruby nozzle out of the ob 
up, out of the obsidian, out of the real obsidian. Okay. Um, would, I, I think I can work it with carbide tools. Um, I've, I've given it a quick try, and my, okay. my PCB drills actually drill through the obsidian. Okay. Um, it's just how do you shape it? How do you, like, capture it in the nozzle? Uh, obsidian is also rather soft, um, so it's most hardness 5, which is, as we know okay. from Jerry Rig everything, um, way worse <laughs> than Gorilla Glass, um, <laughs> which scratches at a level 6 or 7, I think. Um, so it's, it's rather soft, which means it is very easy to work with, but it's also going to wear down pretty fast um, mm. compared to Ruby, which is, I think, a 9 on the most hardness scale. Mm. It's not going to be very practical, but it would make for a very nice experiment whether I can manage to produce such a small part. And uh, it's probably going to involve a lot of grinding. Yeah. If, if it was like a, a jewelry maker, it would help. Maybe yeah. maybe I can find a jewelry maker who can who, whose help I can enlist. <laughs> um, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. With a bit of money, it it would be possible. Yeah. Sure, sure. Um, like say, hey, can you can you grind this into like a gemstone shape? And then how do I capture it? Like, do I do I just braze it into uh, into a Revo nozzle? Do I braze like a brass slug into it? Because there's no there's no meat um, at the nozzle tip. What you could probably do is just buy buy a ruby nozzle and um, drill out the original. Dis, dis, disassemble. Well, the the normal ruby nozzles, they uh, there is an outer part. Then they put the ruby in from the top, and yep. then they press in another slug of material. But that is, it, it in place. is that the, the current version? Because the ruby nozzles they did change in how they were made. Um, I, th I think like there was there was some problem yeah. with the early ones that came loose. Um, yeah. So they changed something, but I don't exactly know which is the most correct yeah. one. I've seen I've seen some that are just uh, with a rolled over edge, where you basically mm -hmm. have like a, a tube that you plop the ruby into, yeah. and then that edge just gets brittled, um, yeah. <laughs> gets rolled over um, with some sort of percussive tool. Yeah, which might work for obsidian. I don't know. Yeah, it is probably a very delicate process. <laughs> so maybe don't ask just for one for one of these gemstones with a hole on uh, in them. Yeah, maybe maybe have a couple made. I also don't know if that's something that I could even do myself. Um, I don't know. The plan would be to just grab a shot of obsidian, a shot of obsidian um, epoxy to some well blank that i can chuck up in the, mm. in the lathe and then work in in the lathe until i've got just that shape i i don't know yeah. i gotta think about it yeah worth the effort worth distributing glass powder all over my lathe i don't know <laughs> uh, the ways are not going to be happy about that but. no then they're not going to be happy about that i actually collected obsidian myself 15 years ago so there are You you can find it in in many places, but in Europe the um, how's it called in English? In, in German, it's Liparische Inseln, uh, Lipari Island, probably. Let me say Aeolian Islands. They are uh, north of <laughs> they are north of Sicily. Uh, volcanic islands, super nice. Uh, everyone who lives in Europe need, needs to go there at some point. Beautiful and um, there. You can uh, collect obsidian just at at um, some some beaches. Nice, which is so, really nice when you when you see it the first time. Yeah, this stuff has like really sharp shards with it because it is glass. So like these these chunks yeah. are like little 
uh, knife bits or arrowhead bits, maybe. Mm-hmm. So you can you can very easily cut yourself on these. How much did you pay for that junk? <laughs> oh, for that for that junk or for that for chunk? that junk. So it's it's two pieces. Okay. It's uh, one kilogram in total. It says, okay. and I paid I think eleven bucks, including shipping. Okay. That's, but there was a- there was a little paper price tag in there um, as well, which said like three ninety five for the kilogram <laughs> so i mean obsidian is not like a rare mineral or anything it's no like you're saying you can just collect it at the beach essentially yeah. um i just wanted to have some some nice parts uh, that i could show in the video but yeah. it, it is a rather nice glass mineral rock i don't know what it's classified as wikipedia says volcanic a naturally occurring volcanic glass yeah so it's glass whatever yeah let's answer one comment yes one final one and this is maybe just a psa for everyone who who has been watching our videos we both have been been victims of that uh bill todd is asking tom did you get to the bottom of the whatsapp user that was using your photo in a prusa giveaway scam so the usual scam that happens on YouTube and that I'm sure we've seen on one of the many tech channels that, that have been affected by this is some user is going to copy the video creator's um, profile picture um, and create some some uh, profile name like, hey, contact me on WhatsApp and then have some WhatsApp number in like ASCII numbers like not in the actual but whatever um and they're gonna be like hey congratulations they're gonna reply to other comments um like hey congratulations you've been shortlisted as the winner or you've won whatever in my case it was like a prusa kit or i i don't even know um often it's like hey you've won this rtx 3090 you've won whatever thing is of value reach out on whatsapp uh so that i can arrange shipping and then the way that usually goes is like if, if somebody falls for that and, and actually sends a message to the WhatsApp or Instagram user or whatever it is, um, the scammer will say like, hey, yeah, congratulations, you've won this. Um, all I needed to do is to pay for shipping. And then it's going to be like 50 bucks for shipping. And if the if the scam person bites, it's going to be like, ah, yeah, you know, there, there's custom fees. Um, it's just going to be another 150 bucks. Um but of course, nothing has ever been sent or will ever get sent, and it is just a scam scheme to scam people out of the money. Um, so that has happened on, I think, the, the, the most recent video, right? On the uh, 0.4.6 nozzle video. Okay. Was it? Yeah, yeah, that, that featured a Prusa. Makes sense. Um, and it was... I think within within seconds, because they, they don't post um, the comments through the actual YouTube interface. They use the YouTube API, which for some reason allows you to leave comments. Great, great addition, YouTube. Um, they posted, I think, over 100 comments or 100 comment replies within mm-hmm. a second. Um, okay. The cool thing about YouTube is now, if we go in through YouTube Studio and we go to the standard YouTube Studio comment view, which like accumulates all the comments from all the videos, it doesn't show replies. It only shows new comments to your videos. It does not show when somebody added a new reply to a thread. So to me, they were completely invisible unless I actually went to the video and scrolled through the comments and looked at this, this, or if I searched specifically for this comment. Now, strike number two on YouTube is uh, you can 
ban the ban, you can hide the user's comments, but that only affects future comments. It doesn't affect the comments they've already made or the, the scam posts they've already made. So uh, what I would have to do is to go through the entire list of over 100 uh, comments, go like this one, click, delete, confirm I want to delete, delete, move on to the next one. That would have taken me like two hours to complete. Completely, well, not not quite, but... And then the next next time it happens, I'm, I'm, uh, I can't do anything about it again. So... Thankfully, a lot of people suggested the tool from Theo Joe, um, which Linus uh, from the well-known channel Linus Tech Tips has also made a video about and recommended. And that tool also connects to the YouTube API. Very useful API, but also, you know, not so useful at times. Cause and source and cause of all problems. And it goes through and it, it scans for repeating comments. It scans for trigger words it scans for users that have been blacklisted by other youtubers um and it just gives you a list of comments and says hey this looks suspicious do you want me to ban the user and delete all the comments and you just say yes and it deletes them it's a thing of less than five minutes uh so that solved that for me and honestly it found a, a couple other spam comments as well that i went ahead and deleted as well so i'm just thinking about just running that tool every couple weeks or something and just uh, giving the channel a, a good cleanup but yeah fantastic tool um good on theo joe for for publishing that what did what did, also, did you do when when you were manually oh god so so for me they did it on the on the bamboo lab video they said yeah congratulations you won a free bamboo uh, bamboo lab and i got a ton of emails and i think even twitter messages of asking of, of others asking me hey is that legitimate so people even started replying to them i hope nobody fell for the scam but yeah at that point i did it manually and what i also did and youtube started doing is the uh did you activate the increased strictness? I did, yeah um that helped at least for for my last video and yeah what also what youtube also uh did and i i just noticed that uh, uh now and i remember that is that you can't hide your subscription numbers anymore so if yep. you are getting one of these spam uh replies and you're taking a look at their profile uh they can copy basically anything the whole description and and, and things like that but uh, it's not possible anymore to to hide your subscriber numbers so you would probably see zero subscribers or 10 or 5 or i don't know yeah um which can help identifying malicious commenters which is really interesting i mean to be honest um if you if you end up looking at somebody's uh, subscriber numbers to help identify whether they're a scammer or not if you do that, I don't think you would have fallen for the thing in the first place. Uh, so it it is very obvious yeah. that it's a scam. Um, just from the from the hey, it's not even the same YouTube profile that's mm -hmm. that's posting this versus the the original yeah. video creator. The, it should be very very obvious. And the thing with scams and scam emails and schemes in in any other way is always like, yeah, it's not going to work for ninety nine percent of the people that you know get reached out to or, or get sent a scam message but you know the one percent that bite you, you you have an automated system you post these comments or spam emails scam emails you post hundreds of thousands of those 
Mm. And even if 1% bite, that is still a couple thousand people who are going to send them 20, 50, 100 bucks. Mm. And that does add up. Um, yeah. The thing is, with with the current set of tools, I don't think you can do anything at the source. Like, you're not going to get the WhatsApp numbers revoked. Uh, that's yeah. just such a <laughs> such a huge pain to even report anything to WhatsApp if that's possible. Yeah. And for some reason, YouTube is not able to figure out how to filter that. I don't know how well the increased strictness works at this point. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I'm I'm just disappointed in YouTube that. You know, uh, an independent YouTuber can come up with a tool that does that exact job perfectly with almost no false positives, definitely less false positives than the standard weak YouTube comment filter uh, catches and just whip that up and and provide it for free. And YouTube, part of well, Alphabet, um, the largest tech company on the planet, can't figure it out. That's 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 what really strikes me as. confusing yeah with with all of their ai that they're having uh being able to identify any i don't know milliseconds where you're using um copyrighted music and things like that but they're not able to identify commenters that use all of those weird ascii characters for a telephone number and things like that in in their name um, to identify them as, as scammers. And there are probably thousands and thousands of YouTubers constantly yeah. reporting these these scam comments. Why is it not possible to easily identify what the scheme behind those is and just blacklist them the, right away? The simplest thing would be to say like, hey, if there is a user who posts 100 identical comments within less than 60 seconds... <laughs> Probably that's not a legitimate commenter. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so, yeah. Whatever. I got it taken care of. I hope nobody of you listening, watching fell for that. Um, if so, sorry, but it's a bit of your own fault. Like, it, it should have been very obvious. Um, yeah, just be, be careful on the internet. Don't believe everything that the internet tells you, <laughs> as yeah. always. Uh, yeah. So. That's it for today. Absolutely, I think we've covered everything. We, we were like, "Hey, we, do we have do we have topics? Oh God, or do we do we have enough <laughs> topics for for a new episode? I don't know." Uh, here we are, one and a half hours later. Um, yeah, I'm gonna Thank go you. talk to my uh, hopefully part time employee helper, and we're gonna see how we figure that out. That's gonna be a topic for the next episode. Stefan, thank you for your time. Thanks for yours, and. Thanks for everyone who who listened in or who tuned in. Um, Check out our video sponsor if you want to support us. There are links to our patrons down in the description. And uh, yeah, subscribe on YouTube and wherever you can listen to podcasts. And see you and hear you in the next one. All right. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye.